Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor Study. Our question for today is, if God cares, why do I have cancer? Why did my child die at age five? Why did my marriage end in divorce? If God cares, why did I lose my job? Why are Christians being beheaded in the Middle East? This is a difficult uh, issue. The question is, if God is a loving, caring God, why doesn't he step in more? Well, today we're going to look at a story of when the disciples' little boat got hit by a storm, and they're going to say, Jesus, don't you care? And we're going to learn lessons about the caring of God over our lives. Would you take out a Bible? Turn with me to Mark chapter 4, and let's pray. Father, we pray for anyone watching this program right now. Maybe they're going through a very rough storm in life. We pray, Lord God, that you would open their ears to hear, open my mouth to speak. And Lord, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us about our storms and your care for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is preaching on one side of the lake, and then this happens. Mark chapter 4, if you'd open there, Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35. And on that day when evening had come, Jesus said to the disciples, let us go over to the other side. Here's the first lesson. There is a time to move on in evangelism. Jesus didn't spend his whole ministry on one side of the lake. He finally went to the other side and then elsewhere. And maybe you've been working on someone for years, wanting to bring them to Christ, and they just are not interested. Well, there's a time to leave that person in the hands of God, still pray for them, but move on to other people. Look at verse 36. Mark 4, 36. And leaving the multitude, the disciples took Jesus along with them just as he was in the boat, and other boats were also with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Here's the next lesson. Even Jesus had storms in life. <laughs> the, the question is not if you're going to get hit by a storm in life. The question is how you're going to go through it. I have to have total shoulder replacement on this shoulder in a couple of weeks. And then I wait a few months and then they're going to do this shoulder and it's, I'm not looking forward to this. My attitude kind of stinks. But I have a buddy named Joe, Christian man. He and his son are hiking through the woods. Joe falls, tears his quadricep, has to have rather painful quadricep surgery. And his attitude was great. <laughs> and I said to him, you're an inspiration for me to go have these operations. And the question isn't, are you going to go through storms? The question is, are you going to go through your storm trusting God or griping? 
Back in the 1400s, there's a map from the 1400s in England. This is when they thought the world was flat. And this ancient map has the known world, but on one edge of the map it says, here be demons. And then in another uncharted area it says, here be dragons. And underneath, here be sirens. Well, there was a Christian navigator back then by the name of Sir John Franklin, and he X'd out those words and he wrote, here is God. <laughs> when you're going through a storm, you have no idea what's coming next. We need to trust there's not demons out there. There's not dragons. God's going to be with me through this. Here's a poem. Be not afraid. Though all the world be troubled and men's hearts faint with fear, at dangers in the distance, dangers drawing near, though every help should fail them on which their hopes are stayed, let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Though all your way be troubled and bounds and landmarks lost, though on the stormy billows your little boat is tossed, though all around be changing, here let your mind be stayed. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. O blessed word of Jesus and faithful from of old, into which our fears may vanish, to which our trust may hold, you shall not be confounded, you shall not be dismayed. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. All right, now the next verse is going to be, I think, the most beautiful picture of faith in the whole Bible. Here we go. Look at verse 38. And Jesus himself was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I want you to get the picture in your mind. It's, it's night. This huge storm is hitting the boat. They're about to sink. The disciples are jumping up and down screaming. What does Jesus do? He's sleeping. In fact, the only place in the Gospels where Jesus is sleeping is in this verse, in the middle of a storm. And, and, and that, to me, is the definition of faith. Here it is. Faith is being able to sleep during your storm because you know who controls the weather. <laughs> faith is... Trust, one, one scholar said this, it was not the pillow that Jesus was resting upon. I like that. It wasn't the pillow Jesus was resting upon. Back in 1859, a French acrobat by the name of Blondin came over to the United States. He stretched a tight wire across Niagara Falls. Large crowd is watching. He puts a balanced beam in his teeth he took a wheelbarrow and he wheel, 150 feet above Niagara Falls on a tightrope. He went from one side all the way to the other with his wheelbarrow. The crowd was amazed. A little boy's going, and Blondin says, little boy, do you think I could do that again? Yes, sir. Do you think I could push my wheelbarrow all the way across to the other side again? Yes, sir. A little boy, if I put you in that wheelbarrow, do you think I could get you safely on the other side? Yes, sir. Okay, little boy, jump in. No, sir. <laughs> and see, I think that's the way we are with God. We know God is out there. He's our loving Heavenly Father. We know we can trust Him, but do we trust Him? No, sir. <laughs> and I think the definition of faith is we're able to sleep during our storms because we know 
Who controls the weather? Look at verse 39. And Jesus, being aroused, rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. Here's the next lesson. Only Jesus can calm the storm. Can I ask you now just to stop and think of a storm that you have gone through recently, or maybe you're right now in the midst of a storm. Think of that storm. Now the question for our program is, why doesn't God, if he loves me, take that storm away? Well, let's, let's give God credit here. Hasn't he done that many times? I mean, think of all the storms you've gone through in life and you're still here. So let's give God his due. He does that a lot. But let's say you've got a persistent storm that you've prayed about for years maybe, and it's still there. Why doesn't God take that storm away if he cares for me? Well, maybe this will help. A little boy has his little sailboat and he puts it in the lake and he's sailing his little boat, but the waves start to move his sailboat out into the middle of the lake. So the little boy runs up to this man, mister, can you somehow help me get my sailboat back? I don't, and the man bends down, starts throwing rocks at his sailboat. The little boy starts crying, what are you doing? Well, he was throwing rocks beyond the boat that created waves that pushed the little sailboat into shore. <laughs> When you are going through a trouble and you're wondering, God, why are you throwing rocks at my boat? I think it's because they bring us closer to him. I wouldn't be close to God if I didn't have troubles. Our troubles bring us closer to the Lord. You know, I, as a pastor, I have visited a lot of people in the hospital. And there's a line that says, some people only look up when they're lying on their back. <laughs> and I think that's true for all of us. The reason we have storms in life, they, they bring us closer to God. All right, let's look at verse 40. And Jesus said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? How is it that you have no faith? All right, now look at that verse and answer this question. What is the opposite of faith? In that verse, the opposite of faith is fear. So, so when we are afraid, we need to somehow turn our fear into faith. And, and how do you do that? Well, I'll tell you something I do. This helps me try this. When I'm being very anxious, I like to get on my knees next to my bed, and I like to take my hands, and I go like this. And I say, God, I'm giving you this storm right now. Here's something happening. God, I don't like this, but you promised Romans 8:28 to use it for my good. So God, here's this problem. And I pray that you will take it. And then I see God's hands come down out of heaven. He takes this thing out of my hands. He takes it up into heaven. I turn my palms down and I go down there. And if I got more than one problem going, I say, God, here's problem number two. Romans 8, 28, I claim that you're using this for my good. I see the hands of God go up and my hands come down empty. And I have to do that. <laughs> and that's my way of turning fear into faith. Let's look at more closely now at verse 40. Now here's the question I want us to look at in verse 40. What was the disciples' sin in verse 40? Were they sinning because they were afraid of the storm? I don't think so. I think God builds 
self-preservation in us. So if you, if you get the word that you have cancer and you're worried, concerned about it, that's not a sin. If, if your child is on drugs and you're concerned, that's not a sin. You know what the disciples' sin was? It's back up in verse 39 where they say, don't you care? Here's the disciples' sin. The disciples' sin was to think, God, you don't care. That's where they went over the line. I want to quote a, a page from Max Lucado. Now, don't, don't go to sleep here. It, it's a good word here, but it's a little long. So would you listen carefully? Max Lucado says this, When God says no, there are times when the one thing you want is the one thing you never get. You're not being picky or demanding. You're only obeying his command to, quote, ask God for everything you need. All you want is an open door or an extra day or an answered prayer for which you will be thankful. And so you pray and wait, no answer. You pray and wait, no answer. You pray and wait. May I ask a very important question? What if God says no? What if the request is delayed or even denied? When God says no to you, how will you respond? If God says, I've given you my grace and that is enough, will you be content? Content, that's the word. A state of heart in which you would be at peace if God gave you nothing more than he already has. Test yourself with this question. What if God's only gift to you were his grace to save you? Would you be content? You beg him to save the life of your child. You plead with him to keep your business afloat. You implore him to remove cancer from your body. What if his answer is, my grace is enough? Would you be content? You see, from heaven's perspective, grace is enough. If God did nothing more than save us from hell, could anyone complain? If God saved our souls and then left us to spend our lives in leprosy or would God be unjust? Having been given eternal life, dare we grumble at an aching body? Having been given heavenly riches, dare we bemoan earthly poverty? Let me be quick to add, God has not left you with just salvation. If you have eyes to read this book, hands to hold it, the means to own it, God has already given you grace upon grace. The vast majority of us have been saved and then more some. But there are those times when God, having given, up, having given us his grace, hears our appeals and says, my grace is enough for you. Is God being unfair? Our oldest daughter fell into a swimming pool when she was two years old. A friend saw her and pulled her to safely. The next morning in my prayer time, I made a special effort to record my attitude to God in my journal. I told God how wonderful he was for saving her. As clearly as if God himself were speaking, the question came to my mind, would I be a less wonderful God had I let her drown? Would I be any less a good God if I called her home? Would I still be receiving your praise had I not saved her? Point of that is, God doesn't promise to take your storms away. He promises one way or another to get you through them. I mean, think of this. There were Christians on the Titanic. And when they were sinking, they cried out to God to save them. And they drowned. And you could say, well, why didn't God help them? God did help them. They're in heaven. <laughs> so um, I think what enabled Jesus to sleep during the storm was Jesus knew sink or swim, live or die, no matter what happens in the storm, I'm in the hands of my heavenly father. 
And we need to hear that. I mean, as I'm going to go into these double shoulder surgery, I need to trust, live or die, pain or not, God is going to be with me in this. Look at verse 41. And the disciples became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? All right. The disciples are wondering, who is Jesus that he can control the weather? Now, remember, this, this event takes place before the resurrection of Christ from the dead. It's not until after the resurrection and Thomas says to Jesus, my Lord and my God, it's not till that moment that the disciples understand that Jesus is God, but they're starting to get a glimpse here. Jesus controls the weather. Well, only God ultimately controls the weather. Therefore, Jesus must be God. The point of this verse, the point of the story is, Jesus controls the weather. He must be God. Again, they won't get that till later. But um, let me just close with this. The ancient symbol of the Christian church is the boat. I mean, we in the church I served for many years had a big stained glass window with all the symbols of, of the church. And the central symbol of the church was the boat. At this point in history, in this story, there's only 13 people in the church, Jesus and the 12 disciples. But then for the next 2,000 years, the boat, the church, is going to be swamped with all kinds of storms. And sometimes you wonder if the Christian church is going to sink but Jesus said, the gates of hell will not sink my church. Now, if you've watched this show, you know how troubled I am that liberal Protestant denominations are sinking. And I, I mean, for instance, a recent example, Pastor Nadia Bowles Weber of the ELCA Lutheran denomination, which is very liberal, she uses the F word. She um, doesn't believe Jesus died in our place for our sins. Uh, recently, she has said, quote, Nothing is wrong with ethically sourced porn. She's trying to get women who had the uh, purity rings when they were teenagers to send them in so she can melt the purity rings into a vagina to give to a vagina sculpture to give to Gloria Steinem for the great. I mean, this is a prominent preacher in the ELCA Lutheran Church. And I hear this kind of stuff and it just drives me nuts. But you know what I need to remember? Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. In other words, the true church of Jesus Christ will exist until the end of time. Now the false church may sink and the false church should sink, but the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. All right, last thing to do. Maybe you're going through a storm right now. Can I ask you to do something? Wherever you're at, could you take your hand and place it on your heart? And Ephesians chapter three says, Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. So would you even now just close your eyes and I just ask you to say these words out loud after me. Would you do that wherever you're in the living room, wherever you're watching this, would you say these words out loud after me? Lord Jesus, I believe you are in my heart by faith. I believe you are in my boat. Whether I sink or swim, whether I live or die, no matter how this storm unfolds, I trust you, Lord Jesus, live or die, sink or swim, you will take care of me. Amen. 
Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us not only his knowledge of scripture, but his insights to answer questions we have regarding the church, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, you said that Christ's church will endure to the end. So does that mean we should stay in the church? If a person is attending a church that's going astray, should they still stay there? We should always stay in a church. You don't have to stay in the church you were raised in. And Jackie, um, for instance, we get letters. Uh, Dear Pastor Brock, some weeks ago we felt you were talking directly to us. We had been agonizing over leaving our ELCA Lutheran Church. It was difficult to think of leaving the only church I've ever known. Baptized, confirmed, married, uh, children baptized, grandchildren baptized there. Then one night it was like a switch turned on after watching your show. It was time for us to go. We've now joined a Missouri Synod Church. Another question, another person writes the same thing. Another person, we really feel convicted to leave the ELCA. Here's what I'll say, Jackie. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, of which you and I used to be a part, has become so heretical. The stuff I just said in the, uh, uh, you know, bringing in, uh, promoting abortion uh, rights, paying for abortions with offering dollars in the ELCA, promoting homosexuality and transgenderism, saying that Jesus isn't the only way to heaven, worshiping God the mother in certain uh, quarters. Jackie, if your denomination has gone that wacko, time to leave it and join. If you're a Lutheran, you join the Missouri Synod or the LCMC. Uh, if you're a Presbyterian, you leave the liberal PCUSA church and you join the Presbyterian Church in America. I mean, messed up as the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America is, the ELCA, which really stands for everything Luther cautioned against, uh, messed up as the ELCA is, the Episcopal Church and the United Church of Christ are even worse. So I think it's time to finally jump ship. I know you've gone to that church 50 years time to find a more biblical denomination. You know, what caused the fall down of these churches? I mean, they were good churches. Yep. And was it leadership within the church? Yes. You know who's, I, I would name them, I could. You know what made the ELCA such a mess? We had four very liberal bishops in a row, and that eventually is what got our church, Hope Lutheran, back in uh, early 2000s to leave. So yeah, the leadership has been much more liberal than the laity. If you ask most, most lay people, is Jesus the only way to heaven? Uh, they'll, they'll say yes. If you ask ELCA Lutheran pastors, is he, then, then you'll get tap dancing. You know, isn't it sad though that good churches have gone bad? Yeah. And did God intend that? Or I mean... Well, he did... He. There is a prophecy in the New Testament that there will be an apostasy, which means a falling away at the end of time. So this has been prophesied. Somebody said things are not falling apart, they're falling in place for the fulfillment of scriptures okay. about the rise of the Antichrist, the false church. Sadly, uh, the false church is here. It's here. Well, it's really kind of sad, and yeah. I guess we could go a whole program on sad. this. It's, I mean, I, Jackie, you're a Lutheran, I'm a Lutheran. Again, Missouri Synod, Wisconsin Synod, Association Free Lutherans, they're all biblical. The big one, sadly, the ELCA is liberal. 
And same with, there's smaller Presbyterian churches that are good, but the big one, the PCUSA, has gone the same route. So it's sad. It's very sad. Okay, well, let's go to a different route yeah. then. Where in the Bible does it teach that Jesus is God? Yeah, in, in the sermon, you know, we just taught uh, Jesus stills the storm. He controls the weather. And it's not till after Jesus rises from the dead and Thomas says to Jesus, my Lord and my God, that they understand he's God. When the Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door and teach Jesus is not God, I take them to John chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, and John chapter 20, where Thomas says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And Tom, Jesus doesn't say, whoops, Thomas, what a mistake. I'm not God. He just says you should have believed it without seeing it. So there are a number of scriptures that teach Jesus is God. If you go to our website, pastorstudy.org, there's a whole article called, Is the Trinity Biblical? And you'll show, it'll show you all the verses that affirm the deity of Christ. You know, I guess this is kind of raised another question when you, we've talked about what your answers have been here. How do you know when or if you should stop sharing Christ with someone? Yeah, that was the whole point about Jesus left one side of the lake and went to the other. I think, Jackie, if you have shared the gospel clearly with people, with, let's say you've got a daughter and you've shared the gospel clearly with her, she knows the truth and she has chosen to turn her back on it, I don't think you necessarily keep bringing it up. Now you're just quiet and you talk and you just talk to the Lord about your daughter. I think that's the time comes when you have to do that. Yeah. Okay, I've got one more question and we have to probably close, but are you sinning if you worry about things? Because shouldn't I guess my question would be, shouldn't we be concerned about how things are going yeah. in our world? Well we need to be concerned. But worry is a sin. Uh, what is it? Is it Philippians? Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. So it's a sin to worry, uh, but it's not a sin to be highly concerned. But if you're not taking them to the Lord in prayer, that's when it becomes a sin. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess I know in my head that I shouldn't worry. Yeah. But I still end up doing yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, you worry about things, so what's right. your advice well, again, there? I, I, like to, I like to get on my knees, lift my, lift my worries up to the Lord, and I want to encourage people to do that. If you've never done that, where you've gotten on your knees, you need to do that. So we've got 46 seconds here left, Jackie, and, and just, if you don't mind, we're going to just thank you so much. We have had money come in, so we're able to expand. When we get enough money in, we just add a city or two. So now we're gonna add Cedar Rapids, Iowa, but we're on all over the country because of people like you that pray for us. You give your donations to us, and you'll see in, uh, in a minute uh, where people uh, send things. So just we would just wanna say thanks for your prayers and your support, and we'll see you next time at the Pastor's Study. God bless. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ?
You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the Pastor's Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.